Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> We're excited to be back together again this morning. Um, if you feel comfortable and are willing and able, let's stand for this first song. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. I have a living hope. I have a future. God has a plan for me. Of this I'm sure. Of this I'm sure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. Your word is faithful, mighty in God will deliver me, of this I'm sure, of this I'm sure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation, I know I can stand secure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation, I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, church family. We are glad to be together and worshiping this morning with you. Uh, we want to welcome you. If you are here in person, uh, we're glad to be able to see your faces. If you're not here in person, but you're sharing with us on the live stream, we'd like to see your faces, and I'm not going to say that we're glad we don't see them. Uh, so... Although I did just say that, ah, what am I thinking? Um, we are glad that we have the opportunity to worship together in the various ways that we're able to. And so this morning, uh, we want to invite you and encourage you into our time of worship. I want to share with you a verse from Isaiah chapter 9. Um, many of you know we're beginning our series that uh, is leading toward Christmas, and Kyle's going to be preaching for us this morning. Um, we're talking about the idea of giving and the idea of how God gives and how we are called to give in light of his giving. This is Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This morning we get to worship the God who has taken on to himself uh, all things for us, and he has given himself for us. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray as we begin our worship this morning. Father God, you are good. You are wonderful. You are a mighty God, and we worship and adore you. And Father, you are so high above us that it's hard for us to imagine all that you have given to us. And 
and we could begin to list the blessings, to count them, and we would fall short because you have given to us so much. But we are most, this morning, thankful for the gift of your Son, the Son that was given. And Father, we pray this morning as we worship you, we remember that Son. We remember the sacrifice, that we remember the love, that we remember his resurrection in what we do here today. And it is all this that we pray in your Son's name. Amen. We're going to continue our worship at this time. All right. I just want to encourage everybody this morning uh, to sing nice and loud. I know we're low in numbers, but the Lord doesn't care how we sound, right? He cares what's in our hearts. So let's sing nice and loud and uh, help me out today and also praise him. Over all the earth you reign on high, every mountain stream and every sunset sky. But my one request, Lord, my only aim is that you reign in me again. Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all the dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again over every thought, over every word. May my life reflect the beauty of my Lord, because you mean more to me than the thing. So won't you reign in me again, Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again, Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again? You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again? Amen. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your love? You are beautiful beyond description. Majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due. 
stand in awe of you. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you, holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. You can be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> Ooh. All right, ladies, you ready? Here we go. I'll do my best to help out here. We'll see how this one goes. Again, to God be the glory. Amen. <laughs> Oof, okay. <clears throat> There's a stirring deep within me. Could it be my time has come when I see my gracious Savior face to face when all is done? Is that his voice I am hearing? Come away, my precious one. Is Is that too high? That's way too high. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's see. Let's uh, let's just restart that one. Well, we'll say that never happened. It's okay. (laughs) I'm more reassuring myself than you guys. Here we go. There's a stirring deep within me, could it be my time has come when I see my gracious Savior face to face when all is done? Is that his voice I am hearing? Come away, my precious one. Is he calling me? Is he calling me? I will rise up, I'll rise up, and I'll bow down, lay my crown. Dead feet. There's a stirring deep within me. Could it be my time has come when I see my gracious Savior face to face when all is done? <clears throat> 
is that his voice I am hearing. Come away, my precious one, is he calling me? Is he calling me? I will rise up, I'll rise up, and I'll bow down, lay my crown at his wounded feet. I will rise up, I'll rise up, and I'll bow down, lay my crown at his wounded feet. There's a stirring deep within me. Amen. I will say, guys, that's the first time that Aaron and I ever heard this song was here at Newburgh, and it's a beautiful song. I just guess I've never led it. So um, thank you, guys. Amen. Well, good morning, church family. I'm reading today from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the reading of his Amen. Jesse, I want to thank you for leading worship. I know it is more difficult in these times, but I always appreciate when you lead worship because you remind us of what it's all about. So thank you. If you are with us or at home, please open your Bibles to Philippians 2. And if you would like, you can also scroll over or flip over to uh, Luke chapter 2 and have a placeholder there as well. Those are the texts we'll be in this morning. I want you to maybe think of a time in your life where you have been given something from someone that was an abundant blessing. Something that seemed to be over the top or out of the ordinary. Just something that was abundantly generous. Maybe you can think of a time in your life when someone blessed you in that way. I know I can think of numerous people who have given out of their abundance to bless me and my family over the years. And I think what people do with their abundance says a lot about their character. And we're going to look at that in, in light of God and God's character. But we can see a lot of examples of that. Um, 
And sometimes they can be, be very special um, and out of the ordinary. You know, our concept of abundance is sometimes hard to even grasp when we think of the many different ways that we can view abundance in our world. A lot of times we immediately jump to money or numbers, right? That's the easiest one. And, it, you know, it makes me think about people who have, you know, like billions of dollars, a number that we can say, but it's so hard to even fathom. Um, there's a, a man that I discovered when I was kind of researching abundance named Chuck Feeney. Uh, he was a billionaire. He had a net worth of, a, of $8 billion, which again is like, it's a number we can say, but we can't even really fathom how much money that is. Well, Chuck didn't really want to hold on to his riches. And over the years, he set up secret foundations to give away almost the entirety of his wealth to where now he lives with $2 million. He's given basically $8 billion away. And again, that kind of abundance is so hard to fathom. This is a, a season in which we give special attendance to, uh, attention sorry, to the gifts that God has given us through Jesus Christ, and specifically through the birth of Christ. God has given us many gifts that we could uh, recount, but perhaps the greatest gift that we speak of is the gift of His willingness to come and become flesh, to live a human life, to suffer and die as a sacrifice for our salvation. And today we're kicking off a series in which we want to focus on the gifts that God has given to us and how we can emulate that. And so this morning we're going to be looking at how God gives out of His own abundance to us. And I want to start off by kind of just giving a little history of God's abundant giving. Uh, throughout Scripture, we can see so many examples of God giving out of His abundance. There's, the evidence is all around. First of all, we could look at creation itself. If we can think about the abundance of, of God and His power, that He's able to speak life into the world and separate light from darkness and bring order to chaos and he gives Adam and Eve, he gives humans a special place in creation to care over it. God gives a, an amazing promise to Abraham that his children, that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the skies. That's an abundant, uh, abundant number. That he would give him a people group that would come from his offspring and that he would give them a land and he would richly bless these people. God gives of himself to the Israelites, and he forms a covenant with Israel, again, giving this abundant blessing to say, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And then, of course, we can see God giving of himself through the incarnation, through becoming flesh, living a human life, and dying for us. So this is a season where Christians celebrate many different things uh, as far as Christmas or Advent is concerned. We, f we focus on a lot of different themes, but giving is definitely one of them. Sacrificial giving. And we, we take this time to especially focus 
on what Jesus Christ has done for us through his birth and through his redemptive work to all of humanity. And through this nativity story, we can see God's abundance to us. And I think hopefully throughout this series, what we'll see is God's abundant giving of himself to us and the whole world calls us to respond in some way. We are called to emulate his character of self-giving. And this morning what I want us to do is focus on this idea of God giving out of his abundance from basically two perspectives, a heavenly or theological perspective that we can read from Paul and a more earthly or narrative perspective that we see in the Gospels, the story of the birth of Christ. So, again, pull up Philippians 2, which John read for us this morning, and we will dive in. So, in in Philippians chapter 2, Paul sets the the heavenly stage to describe Christ's act of self-giving in the incarnation and the ministry of his human life. And what I want you to do, I've spoken on this text before because it really is one of my favorite texts. I think it's foundational, it's crucial to understand what is going on here, to understand who Jesus is and the implications of his life on our own. But I want you to notice the progression that happens here that Paul describes. So first, Paul describes... Uh, And all of this is in the context of the attitude that we should have to maintain Christian unity and uh, to live out the life that God has called us to. So that's the, the context for what he's describing in the life of Christ. So he starts off by saying that Jesus was in the very nature, in his very nature, God. So right from the bat, he makes that theological claim that Jesus is God. This great mystery of of the Trinity. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not a lesser being. He is of the same nature. And so this is God giving up of God's own self. You know, and, and he's describing Jesus in a way that could not be more lofty. Could not be more worthy of praise. More powerful. Because he is God. And yet, he goes on to say that he did not regard equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped onto, depending on your translation. So he chose to let go of this status, of this power, of this privilege in order to complete the task at hand. There was something necessary in his ministry that called Jesus to give up or to consider this divine status something that he needed to let go of, to give up. So already he's giving up so much, not necessarily his own divinity, um, but his divine right and power. And of course people debate over what exactly this means, but the, the issue at hand is the next line where he says, he made himself nothing. Or perhaps a better translation is he emptied himself. What exactly did he empty himself of? That's what people you know, might debate about, but 
uh, most people would say he emptied himself of those divine powers and rights. He's not using them to his own advantage. He is, of course, still God, and yet in some way, in some mysterious way, he's also becoming human. So he's emptying himself of those things that would have made his journey so much easier. But he did it in a way that, could, that he could embrace also the fullness of humanity. So while he's emptying or giving of himself, he's also taking. He says, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he didn't remain empty. He chose to take on humanness, to take up the qualities of what it means to be human, to suffer, to grow hungry, to experience, you know, feelings like a human. And we can see this throughout Scripture, right? I think the Gospels do a really good job of demonstrating not only the the divinity of, of Christ, but also his humanness, right? He sits down at the well. He's become tired. You know, in the garden, he's He's um, sweating huge drops like, like, te- like tears of blood almost, you know. So we can see Christ's humanness. And this is examples of his own self-giving, that he's willing to set aside, uh, set aside this divine right and privilege to take on humanness in order to redeem humanness, in order to redeem all of us. And... Not only does he take the form of a human, but that of a servant. Not only does he live, he doesn't live an extravagant human life. I mean, and we'll look at that in a moment. He could have chosen to enter the world in such a way that his life was extravagant in, as far as human terms go. But he doesn't do that. He experiences humanness in a way that's more characteristic of a servant. And he goes on to say that he humbled himself to obedience even unto death and death on a cross. So again, notice this progression. It's not just humanness, it's servant, and it's not just servant, it's obedient to death, and it's not just any death, it's the worst death that you could experience at least in that time which was crucifixion. So this is a lot to process, I think. You know, Paul is, is, is uh, painting a, a very complex picture. But I think in ways that make it really easy to understand what's going on here. Jesus is giving of himself. God is, is giving up himself, of himself in the incarnation. This is a, an abundance that... Paul is describing that is so hard for us to even fathom the, the depth of what is going on here, of what Christ is giving up. And so we, we read here in Philippians 2 this kind of heavenly perspective of the incarnation and, and what's going on, that God gave of himself to become and became flesh, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, so that all might be saved and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And something that something I've never really done is think about what's going on here in Philippians 2 in the context of 
the nativity story. Because, again, Paul's speaking here in, you know, more theological terms and, and uh, context. He, you know, it's not a narrative, is what I'm trying to say. But where we see this playing out is in the story of the incarnation, at least the, the first part of it, right? Jesus becoming flesh and being born to Mary. And so I think it's really interesting to look at these two texts in, um, alongside each other to really grasp what, what Jesus went through when he gave of himself. And so now, if you will, please flip over to, to Luke chapter 2. Because uh, in, the, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, I'll, I'll do a little bit of jumping around but we can piece together, you know, the story of the birth of Christ from a more earthly perspective, I guess you could say, from a from a heaven or um, uh, from a, a, a narrative or story perspective, uh, which helps us understand this in a, in a in a different way. So let me read through Luke two, uh, one through seven, and I'll use examples from Matthew as well. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So he's kind of painting the context of the, the background, the setting. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So I want us to notice the many ways in which the birth of Christ was not ideal from a human perspective of greatness or abundance. There are many examples of, of giving up described in Philippians, and they're detailed in a, in a different way here in this story. <clears throat> so this is more of the earthly perspective of, of God giving of his abundance in the incarnation. So first of all, look at the circumstances of uh, the birth announcement or, or the conception even of, of Jesus. It's kind of unusual to say the least not only the um, you know immaculate conception or the miraculous conception of Christ but we can also think that in some way this probably caused some embarrassment to Mary and Joseph I mean again we're reading this from the perspective of you know we already know the end of the story we know the background, we read the story of the angel visiting them both. But for everyone else at that time who didn't experience this, this might seem kind of suspect and perhaps even inappropriate that Mary would become pregnant before they were uh, married. Now, of course, we know what's going on. We know the bigger picture. But at the very least, we can say that this was perhaps not the best start for Mary and Joseph and for Jesus because of the difficulty to explain the miraculous conception 
and to describe this to family and friends, there were probably some skeptics right off the bat. Then they traveled uh, to, from Galilee to Bethlehem because of this census. We're told a lot of things there. First of all, they, they had to, you know, late in the term, do, take this journey. We're reminded that Israel isn't in control, that it's really Rome that's the superpower here. Um, then we're told, you know, that there's no room available for them in the sleeping quarters or wherever they were staying. And so they're placed in the area of the house where animals are present. Um, Jesus is born and placed in a, a manger or feeding trough. Again, not super glamorous. Also, we can look at the fact that there was no grand announcement. Usually, when a king was born, the, in, or a king had a, a son that would you know, eventually take the throne... The euangelion, the good news, was sent out to all the people saying, a king has been born, you know, an earthly king. There's no grand announcement like that for Jesus. Who were the first people to find out about Jesus' birth? It was the shepherds, at least as far as we can tell, it was the shepherds. Again, not really A-list celebrities, not very important people. And then, of course, you know, foreigners, these wise men come and they worship. But overall, we can see that other than the miraculous nature and the beauty of it, because, of course, it is a very beautiful story, in human terms, there's nothing overly special about his birth. And I believe that it was meant to be that way. It was meant, Jesus was meant, he, was, he purposed to have a lowly birth, as we describe it. Because he was giving up of himself. You can see all the things that are mentioned in Philippians are really actualized in Luke chapter 2 and in Matthew. This was the downward uh, pro, uh, projection of humility, direction of humility that Jesus was seeking. So it makes sense that his birth was not this extravagant affair. So I guess the question is, you know, why did he do it this way? Why didn't he use divine power and privilege? Why wasn't his incarnation a huge spectacle for the whole world to see? Because he chose to give out of his abundance so that we could receive his abundance instead of holding, it on, holding on to it himself so that we might have abundant life. He chose to set aside his divine right so that we might become like him, holy and blameless before God. And he wanted us to follow in his footsteps. He wanted us to emulate that same character of self-giving that we can see in his birth, in his life, and in his death. <clears throat> Through all of this, this idea of God giving out of his abundance and how we can see that played out in the story of Jesus' birth that we're, you know, 
so focused on, especially this time of year. We can see God's love and God's goodness and God's desire for us to experience His love and to share that with others. And so I hope this morning that our hearts are transformed by this thought that Jesus gave out of His abundance so that we might have abundant life and that we should do the same for others however we can. You know, we don't always receive everything we want in this life. There's a lot of people, um, depending on who we compare ourselves to, that don't seem to be living in very much abundance. So how can, how can we give, up out of, give out of our abundance if we feel like we don't have much abundance to give in the first place? If it's difficult for us to see the many ways in which God has blessed us. And, you know, if I can be, if I can be completely honest, for probably a number of reasons recently, you know, just the overall atmosphere of, of COVID and just different things that have gone on in my life and in people who I love around me, it has been a, a little more difficult recently for me to see and appreciate the goodness of God. And I think we all go through that in different points in our life where even though we know that we are abundantly blessed, it's just been more difficult recently to see and appreciate the goodness of God. And, you know, there's someone uh, close to, or that I, I really look up to and respect who is just going through just a terrible ordeal right now. And you look at situations like that and you begin to question, where is the goodness of God? Where is the abundant blessing, you know, that we have been been promised? Not that we'd be all be rich if we become Christians, but that God has promised us this abundant life and, and these blessings. And when you see people hurt and, you, and struggle, you wonder, where is that goodness? But this, this man who has been going through this difficult ordeal said something that was really profound to me. He said, um, though, and it's not a direct quote, but it's something to the effect of, though I cannot understand the why, I have to trust that the who is close to me, is in control. Though I cannot understand the why, I have to trust that the who is walking with me. And I can't think of a better attitude to have because I think that's a statement of great faith. Sometimes it is hard to see the abundance that God has given to us. Sometimes it's hard to see how much of that abundance has been passed on to us that we should also pass on to others. But I think that attitude is right on. And I think Jesus himself, as in, in his humanness, felt that as well. You know, he asked, if there is any other way, take this cup. And 
I think there were times where he perhaps did not always understand the why, but he trusted the who. He trusted God. This giving that Christ has done, or that God has done out of his abundance, cost greatly, cost him greatly. The price was abundantly high. But it's an example of God's love for us. And it's an example that we should emulate in the way we deal with other people, in the way we are stewards of our own abundance and how we share that with others. And of course, it's not just money or possession. It can also be time and many other things. So this morning, I want us to think about our response. And hopefully throughout this whole series, as we're thinking about the giving that God has done and the implications it has for us, we always think about the response that we should have. And so I want to recommend, you know, just three things to do, especially this week, as you maybe ponder this idea. The first is to take a moment this week to reflect on the implications of Christ's emptying of himself in Philippians 2. Consider his motivation and his why, which is that he loved the world and wanted to save us. But there's a lot to be drawn out of this text in Philippians 2 to consider what did Jesus really give up when he emptied himself? What is this abundance that he has given, that he gave out of? The second is to consider that why. Why why did Jesus do this? What can I see through Scripture that tells me why he did this? And the third is to consider how you can give out of your abundance? How can you empty yourself this week so that others may see Jesus? Is there an advantage that you can choose this week to give up uh, or to give to someone else in the name of Jesus so that they might see him? Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's an opportunity to give to another family. There's many different ways that you can do that depending on how you, you know, feel called to do so. But my, uh, my prayer for us this morning is that we would find a way to reflect on the character of God and to see His abundant self-giving and to give out of our own abundance in a way that is truly a sacrifice of ourselves. Let's pray. Father, uh, during a year that has been tough for so many in many different ways, sometimes it is difficult to see uh, your goodness or your blessing. But God, we know that you have given to us so abundantly because of your love. And I pray that as we think about that more and more, no matter our circumstance or situation, that our hearts would be turned, our hearts, hearts would be transformed to know and to love you more and more and to have that desire to give of ourselves not so people can see our glory, but so that they can see yours. Help us to do that this week and with all of our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.
And at this time, uh, we'll continue in worship. Again, if you're willing and able, let's stand for these next two songs. As we sing these next two, we're starting to begin to prepare our hearts and our minds for communion and to remember that great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God. Just as I am, just as I am, I would be lost. But mercy and grace, my freedom bought, and now to
go to the next song. This will be the last song before communion. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy another verse. That's okay. Here, we'll do it. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. Fall down, you pick me up, and when I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Worthy This is a time that uh, Jesus established so that we could pause to remember not just what he did for us, but also the significance of what he did. Jesus died a cruel death at the hands of his own people. The story of Joseph teaches us that. His blood was given as an atoning sacrifice. That was the price required by God. And that final plague in Egypt teaches us that. The bread and cup are meant to symbolize his body and his blood. We need to be thinking about that this morning. Also, we need to be examining ourselves. Scripture teaches us that. How have you responded to his sacrifice? Think about that. Are you living as one of his disciples? Do you live according to his teaching? That's what being a disciple means. This is a time 
designed by him so that we could pause and reflect on these things. And let's remember that death was required, his death, and like his death, ours is also required. Scripture teaches us that we must die to our old self in order to be created a new person. I'd like to read from Galatians chapter 5. Starting in verse 16, I'm going to skip around a little bit. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. When you follow the desires of the sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, and of course the list goes on. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, and of course the list goes on. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This is a reminder we should be examining our lives and thinking about these things as we partake of the cup this morning and the bread. Would you bow with me? Father, we're thankful that you came and sent your son that he might die for us. And as we think about that death, Father, help us to think about our own. Help us to examine our lives. Help us to examine the way the scripture teaches us. Help us to think about how we can live by the spirit that we might produce fruit, love, and joy, and peace. All of those things, Father. Teach us, Father. Help us to look. Help us to uh, examine ourselves this morning. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Let's think for a moment about the significance of his death. First, the price for our own salvation is paid by his death. His death points to his resurrection and ours. By God's power he was raised, and that is our hope, that we will be raised too. I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 15 starts in verse 51. 
But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that we celebrate this morning. Not only do we think about his death, but we think about his resurrection. And it is our hope that we will be raised like he has been raised. By God's power and Jesus' sacrifice, we look forward to that time when we'll be raised. Jesus is first in everything. He is the pioneer, and we will follow him. We will also be raised. Would you bow with me as we partake of the cup? Father, again, we come to you thanking you for your son, thanking you that he gave his blood the price that was required for our salvation. Help us to think on those things, Father. Help us as we think about our own lives and how we respond to his sacrifice. Be with us as we partake. We pray through Jesus. Amen. This morning also as we gather, this is a time that uh, we put aside some money in order to accomplish some things as a church. And I'd like to uh, read one more scripture this morning as we think about giving. Uh, Kyle has done a great job talking about giving this morning. But we need to think about our own response and how we give. There is a scripture in 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. Paul says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Let's plant a lot of seed. I want to encourage you all that as you think about your own gifts, not just money, but time and other things, let's plant a lot of seed. Let's stand and sing this last song. <clears throat>
Pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other God. Lord, I'm here to stay. For you have paid the price for me. With your blood you've ransomed me. Thank you, Kyle, for sharing with us this morning about the abundance of God. And I believe that we do serve a God who gives of himself abundantly. Uh, Kyle, you've done a good job of telling us how he gives everything he has for us. And as I I think about that giving uh, this week, you know, I think about our congregation and opportunities that we have to give. Um, Last week, we announced that we were going to be putting together some food boxes for uh, students in our school district. And we announced that we had a kind of minimum threshold of 30 boxes. Um, That was kind of a conservative. uh, We just want to make sure that we we hit whatever we've told the school district we'll be giving them. And we did that within uh, about 24 hours. We had uh, all of the boxes accounted for either through donations of boxes or donations of money toward boxes. Uh, That said, we still have uh, the better part of this next week to be able to give. And so if you, uh, if you were holding off on making a contribution towards this, uh, we'd encourage you to uh, consider between now and I think it's Wednesday, uh, still making a contribution towards this. It's, uh, there are a lot of good things to give towards, and so if you have somewhere else you want to put your money towards, uh, feel free to do that as well. But we, uh, we believe this will be a blessing not only to our community, uh, but uh, also uh, to you in your giving. Um, let's go ahead and we'll close in prayer this morning. Oh, also, a reminder, send encouragement cards. Uh, every, every person in our congregation uh, could use encouragement right now. I think, I think it's safe to say we all uh, benefit when we receive a card of encouragement that reminds us that we're being thought of, um, especially for those who are maybe in positions where they can't have face-to-face interaction right now. Uh, we want to make sure that we're blessing one another. It's, it's typical this time of year to send out Christmas cards. Uh, Lorinda and I are supposed to, according to USPS, get our cards in the mail so we can then envelope them and immediately send them all back out. Uh, but it's always nice when it's a specific note from somebody, a, a word of encouragement. And so we would encourage you to give the gift of your time and your handwriting to a member of this congregation. Grab your directory and find a couple of people to send a card to this week. With that said, let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the gifts you have given to us. 
Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your time. Thank you that you are tireless in hearing our prayers. Thank you, Father, for entering into this world as a human being, walking in flesh and blood among us. Uh, thank you for your son's sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for his, his patience with us as we learn to be more like him. Thank you for all the many ways in which we are blessed today and tomorrow and in the years to come. Father, we pray a blessing on our community that we might be the gift that you have given to them that it will be obvious as people see us that, uh, that we are a gift from you in their lives, that our actions, our activities, our, our thoughtfulness, the words that we speak, that those would be a reflection of the abundance with which you give. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you, and we look forward to worshiping with you next week. We'll ask those in person to exit out the front side doors.